continue in our series through Acts this morning, Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 16. I think it may be printed in your leaflets today. Yeah. Chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Thank you, Haley. Hi, everyone. Happy Father's Day. And uh, happy Father's Day to my dad. Give us a cheer, Dad. Pump fist, fist pump. 
Uh, fist pump, Dad. Come on. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't heard Happy Father's Day from my kids this morning. Oh, so one's at the snow, one's at some friend's party, and the other's in Sydney. But I'll, I'll hear from them today, I'm sure. I bet I hear from them. Uh, uh, but... Uh, I, I'll give you a little bit of it. This might be a dad joke that I start with, so please uh, forgive me. Matt sort of set the scene for that. But uh, uh, did you hear about the, the guy hiking through the Canadian wilderness? Uh, this guy was an atheist. So as he uh, looked at the, the scenery, the snow-capped mountains and marvelled at them, he, he didn't thank God, but he, he muttered to himself, what magnificent mountains, what majestic trees, what a powerful flowing river what beautiful sound of the birds in the trees and as he spoke to himself he heard a rustling a splashing behind him and he turned around and there was a massive big 13 foot kodiak bear charging towards him and he's like holy moly and he starts running flat out as fast as he can he kept looking around the bear is catching up to him Faster and faster he goes. He turns back around, and as he turns around, he trips over a rock and falls flat, crash on the ground. And as he turns back over, there is the bear, one paw pinning him to the ground, the other paw ready to whack him over the head. And this atheist cries out, Oh my God! And time freezes. The river, this really happened. No, 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 no. The, the, river, the river stopped flowing. The sound of the birds disappeared. The bear just stood there frozen and a bright light shone and out of the light a voice came and the voice says, you deny my existence all these years. You teach others that I don't exist. You even credit my good creation to some cosmic accident and yet now in your time of need you cry out to me. Am I to count you now as a believer? And the atheist thought to himself and he said, well, it would be hypocritical of me after all these years, after mocking Christianity for so long, to become a believer now, but at least can you make the bear a Christian? <laughs> and God said, very well. And the light receded, the water started flowing, the birds started chirping, and the bear fell to its knees brought its paws together and said, Dear God, for this food that I am about to receive, I am truly thankful. Amen. Okay, now, there you go. They laughed, but that was a good response, huh? Uh, so this morning we wrestle with two questions. Two questions. Is there a God and how can we know this God? So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? Uh, dear God, you are the Heavenly Father. In your word, the Bible, you promise that everyone who asks will receive. The one who seeks will find and the one who knocks will have the door open to them. So we pray that you will reveal yourself to each one of us this morning. Help us to know you and enjoy right relationship with you through the Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. So this morning we're going back nearly 2,000 years to ancient Greece, uh, to the city of uh, Athens. Uh, Athens in the year 50 AD. So Athens was one of the 
cultural hubs of the ancient world. Uh, it was the center of philosophical, cultural thought. Uh, there is the Acropolis in the background, uh, the Temple Mountain. Has anyone visited the Acropolis here? Okay, so a few of us, the ancient ruins of the Acropolis. Uh, the Areopagus is just over to the right, uh, and that was a rocky outcrop where debate and council meetings happened and philosophy uh, was discussed. Athens was the home of what, what philosophers? You tell me. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, there they are, uh, statues of these men. In, uh, it was the birthplace of democracy and free thought. I'm learning a lot because my daughter's studying ancient history, and so I learn all these things uh, as we talk about it together. In 50 AD, the Apostle Paul fled to Athens. He was sort of chased out of the nearest town, uh, and we find him walking on his own in this influential city. And the first thing that strikes Paul, in amidst all the philosophical thought... The free thought is that this is a, 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 an incurably religious city. Incurably religious. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Uh, it seems like the Athenians were so religious that they had all these little altars to different gods, but this is religious insurance. Just in case we've missed one of the gods, here is an altar to the god we have not yet named, that we have not yet known. And Paul says, I want to teach you about this god, the true god, that you do not yet know. Now, we live in a very different era, 2,000 years on. Um, in 1966, Time magazine ran this front page, April 8th, so just before Easter, 1966, Is God Dead? Uh, and it felt like a time when atheism had won the day. It felt like a time when atheism was just going to continue to roll and increase it felt like people were abandoning belief in God like never before. Now, in the next edition of, uh, of Time magazine, a letter to the editor came, and the letter to the editor said this, The reports of my death are greatly exaggerated, God. Uh, so it's God's comment, writing to the, edit uh, to the editor. Uh, great little comeback, I reckon. Even today... Throughout the world, when it feels like atheism is on the march, nine out of ten people throughout the world identify with a religion of some sort. So nine out of ten people say, I am religious in this particular religion. Encyclopedia Britannica says only 2% of people in the world identify as atheists. Um, so, and it's actually a decreasing number. Now, that's, a, that's it's surprising, isn't it? Um, so humanity is still incurably religious. Atheism is something very new and still very small on a world scale, 2% of the world's population. Now, just speaking from my own experience, I, I find atheists are very rare indeed. 
Uh, I know that there are convinced atheists out there. I just don't meet many of them. So I meet people who at first say they're atheists, but as I chat with them and we get to know each other, I often find out they, they're just not sure. Uh, and maybe they haven't even looked into things very well, but they're just not utterly sure whether there is a God or not. But atheism is just a good label to avoid having to have the conversation. Now, I don't mean to be rude, but that's sort of my experience. And so even amongst those who call themselves atheists at first glance, not necessarily as convinced uh, as it might seem. Um, on the whole, I, my conviction is that humanity is incurably religious still today. Um, uh, here's a, um, given how religious we are, it's strange how religion is almost never spoken about. Have you thought about that? Um, here's a quote from um, Bono, uh, lead singer of U2. Um, I'll do my edited version of this. I don't know anyone who's not interested in the idea of religion, whether they're opposed to it or not. Yet no one talks about it. It's taboo. People will talk about anything at a dinner table these days rather than talk about the idea of grace. Uh, so you can see I've edited that comment. Uh, and not exactly the way I'd express it, but I agree with the sentiment uh, he's saying. And that is... People suspect there's, there's, there's a truth out there, a God, a bigger picture out there, but no one ever talks about it. Um, Richard Eckersley, one of Australia's leading social researchers, says something similar. He wrote a report on government trends in... Uh, sorry, a government report on youth trends, uh, youth culture. And he reckons that the big issues are being avoided, the big issues of life are being avoided, and so we're becoming obsessed with the trivialities of life. So he says this, when a society fails to imbue people's lives with a sense of worth and meaning, then they must attempt to find these qualities as individuals. Robbed of a broader meaning to our lives, we appear to have entered an era of mass obsession, usually with ourselves, our appearance, our health, our fitness, our work, our sex lives, our children's development, our personal development, and so on. Now, what do you think? Do you think he's onto something? So he's saying we've, we've stopped thinking about the big picture and we've become obsessed with the trivialities of life. Um, we suspect that there's more. We suspect there's more to life than a new wardrobe, a better car, a bigger house, a better holiday, and so on. And yet our lives end up revolving around those very things. Now, just to give you a little bit of uh, colour, uh, each year we conduct a Father's Day survey at the lakes. Uh, and so those of you who fill it out will be eagerly awaiting the results. So we asked, um, here's the rugby league ladder, and we asked, what team does your dad go for? Uh, and the least supported is the Titans and the Cowboys. Uh, and so let me show you the top five. The top the number five was the Tigers. Yeah, there's no cheers there. So uh, the Tigers. Uh, number equal third was, just show me, the Knights and the Rabbitohs. Second was the Dragons. And I reckon that's because of Matt Stubbs' family, right? All six of them voted. <laughs> And so you get, the numbers get skewed. Uh, and any guesses on the top team? 
Let's have a look. The Sea Eagles. Did you know, this is extraordinary. I, fe- I felt my very much a loner up until now because I was born in Manly Hospital, you see. But um, one out of six dads in our church goes for Manly, according to my technical survey. But you know what that means? One out of six men support Manly. That means five out of six guys hate Manly. So that, because that's how it kind of, that's how it kind of works. All right. So what food does your dad like the best? Uh, we gave a range of foods. The ones dads liked the least were sushi and health drink. I, I reckon it's pretty good. But anyway, that's what they reckon. And the top ones, any guesses? So coffee, third, beer, second, and steak. Yeah, well done, Noreen. You know the way to your man's heart, hey? Coffee, beer, and steak. So there you go. Um, and finally, we asked, what job does your dad do? Here are the top responses. Teacher, builder, office worker. And this one uh, disappointed me a little bit, but... Uh, the top answer was not much. <laughs> what, what does your dad do? Not much. Now, I reckon that's cheeky, cheeky children rather than a true reflection of the dads, right? Hey, that's just really cheeky. And I, I think I got a feeling that there was sort of a bit of skewed answers because I found some surprising jobs amongst our church. We have one movie star uh, in our church. Does anyone want to nominate themselves? Because I I can't work out who it is. We have four cowboys and four lion tamers. I reckon we've got a higher percentage of lion tamers than any church in Australia based on that statistic. But statistics don't lie, do they? So, um, So let me just pop up some of those things on the screen. Food, sport, career, house, technology, fashion, holidays travel and so on, they are all good things to be enjoyed. In fact, they've been created by God for us to enjoy those things. But is life merely about those things or is there something more to life? Is there more to life than these? Because the problem with our society on the whole is that although we suspect there is more to life than those things, our lives end up revolving around these very things as if there was nothing more to them. And so when Paul came to Athens, he was distressed. He looked around and he saw it was full of idols. If he came to the 21st century Central Coast, he would be equally distressed because the things we live for are every bit of as effective as idols at distracting us from the true God. Uh, and from giving him the praise and honour and worship he deserves. So come back to the passage. Paul is there in the midst of this religious marketplace, and he goes on to make this famous speech. He goes on to make the true God known to them. You have this unknown God. I want to make the true God known to you. And he speaks about two things. Firstly, the creator God. You see, the Bible says that the world around us testifies to there being a creator God. How long is it since you've taken the time to marvel at the world we live in? You know, how long since you've gone up to Crackneck and looked out 
uh, at the view or, or tried to watch the whales be, you know, uh, out to sea. Just spectacular. Um, or just seeing a sunrise across Tugra Lake. Uh, just such beauty and majesty. I want you to think about new birth. You know, it's Father's Day. We just reflect back on that, that moment when your children were born. You know, the way such a microscopic cell is the beginning uh, and then that little cell is nurtured in the mother's womb and it grows and grows and out comes a little baby, my daughter, my son. And this little baby... Uh, is dependent on me and we, we grow in our attachment and our affection and our love and intimacy over the years. Are we meant to think this new life is a random chemical reaction? My son, my daughter, are they a mere product of chance or is there a creator who has fashioned this little one in his image? Is there a relational God who makes us as relational beings? Listen to what Paul says in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. See, it's saying that our world is not some accidental combination of atoms. Our world is not just a cosmic fluke that just somehow randomly came to be. There is a purposeful creator behind it all. And this creator... He has not started it all and then left the building. He is still intimately involved in the details of our lives. He gives us life and breath. He determines the times when we're going to live, the length of our lifespan, the place we're going to live. And it's because God has created us for a purpose. And the purpose is spelt out in verse 27. Have a look at verse 27. God did this so that people would seek him out and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. See, we human beings have been created for relationship. Relationship with each other, relationship with family, we love that. But more than that, relationship with God the creator who fashioned us in his image because he wanted relationship with us. And look at verse 28. He quotes some of the um, Athenian philosophers. He says, as some of your own poets have said, we are God's offspring. Now, what a great reminder on Father's Day. The God who made the world created us to be in relationship with us as his children. He wants to be our father so that we will enjoy his fatherly care and love and protection so that we can cry out to him in our need, uh, that we can depend on him. He loves to give good gifts. 
to his children. The great philosopher Blaise Pascal put it like this, just to quote, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every human which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by the God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And so we try to fill our lives with all sorts of things, but, but Pascal's right. Until we come into relationship with God, there will be a vacuum, something missing, because we were created for a purpose, and that purpose is relationship with each other, but also relationship with God. Knowing the Creator, not just as Creator, but as our Heavenly Father. What a privilege that we've been created for that. And we will never find meaning and satisfaction truly until we reach out for him and find him. And he's not hard to find. He's made himself known. So Paul has a lot to say about God the creator. But he doesn't use creation to prove the existence of God. He has a better proof than that. Uh, so what does he go on to? He goes on to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 31. He doesn't use the name Jesus, but that's exactly who he's got in mind. Verse 31, for God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead, raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the unique claims of Christianity. You line up all the world religions and there is something unique about Christianity because of the resurrection of Jesus. See, most other religions outside Christianity are unverifiable. And what I mean by that is they are beyond scientific and historical verification. That doesn't prove they're wrong or false, but it's equally difficult to prove that they're true. Uh, so, Islam, for instance, Islam is grounded in private mystical revelations received by the Prophet Muhammad in the 7th century AD. How do we know Muhammad really did receive revelations from God? Well, in the end, you can't prove or disprove it uh, because they are personal and private experience of Muhammad. I can't have that experience myself. I can't test it. And it's the same with Buddhism and so many other religions. It's just so difficult to verify its truthfulness or not. But the character of Christianity is entirely different. At the heart of Christianity is the very public life, death and resurrection of the man Jesus. And do you see how vulnerable that makes Christianity? If you can discredit the facts surrounding Jesus, you can discredit the whole of Christianity in a way that you can't do to Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam. Christianity sticks its neck on the, cho the chopping block of public inquiry and says, take a swing. The historical nature of Jesus' life, where he lived, the culture he grew up in, it's all recorded in the Gospels and in fact we know about it outside of the biblical account as well. And under the test of time, the details of the Gospels, here we, the, what we have in the Bible here, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, <coughs> the, 
They stand up to historical inquiry. We know that the Gospels are incredibly reliable historical documents. Most remarkable of all, 40 days after Jesus died in a public execution in a little town of Jerusalem, I say little town like the size of Berkeley Vale in terms of geographic area. It's not a big region. But within 40 days after Jesus died, his followers were proclaiming the news that Jesus had risen from the dead and thousands were convinced and persuaded. And 2,000 years on, the evidence is still compelling. Let me show you an article from the um, Washington News Service. Uh, the lead of the article was, Historians say resurrection a reality. Um, in a dramatic turnaround from post-enlightenment scepticism, historians are now inclined to give much more credence to the New Testament accounts of the resurrection than their predecessors. Now, the article is not claiming that all historians are Christians or that all historians believe the resurrection, but they are far less dismissive than they once were, say, you know, 30 years ago. Um, and I want to show you the consensus that there is amongst historians. So three facts that historians who look into these things generally agree on, right? And th this doesn't make them Christian, but they generally agree on these three things. Firstly, that Jesus of Nazareth, was he lived, he was crucified by the ruling Romans in or about AD 30. Fact one. Fact two, that Jesus' followers sincerely believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, they, they believed that they had seen him, eaten with him, touched him. They were utterly persuaded that he'd risen from the dead. And thirdly, that Jesus' tomb was empty, that is, that his body was not found in the tomb where he was laid. Now, there, there are three facts that historians, whether Christian or not, agree on. It's where you go from there uh, that's the big question. Uh, and so I'm not saying all the historians who have lined up those facts are Christian, but what they're, what they're showing is, what I'm trying to demonstrate is that you can't dismiss the evidence as lightly as many people do. You know, as if Jesus never lived. Well, what historian believes Jesus never lived? There are certain facts that you have to come to grips with. And many of us have wrestled with the facts and come to a conclusion. Yes, Jesus lived and died. Yes, his followers believed he rose from the dead. And I am one of them. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe the tomb was empty because Jesus had physically been raised from the dead. But at the end of the day, you've got to wrestle with the facts for yourself. Uh, you just can't go based on someone else's opinion. The good news is that there's really good evidence for you to check out. So the gospel writers were writing for you to be able to make an informed decision for yourself. Just pick up one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, they, will, they will lay out for you the life, death and resurrection of Jesus in a persuasive way. And then you can check out lots. I'd love to talk to you. I can give you some more resources to check out in a broader sense the evidence for Jesus. But I want you to notice something. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't just prove that God is there. 
it is proof from God that a day of judgment is coming. It's a wake-up call. So verse 31, have a look there. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is like God's proof to the world, God's warning to the world, a day of judgment is coming. Now, I want to show you a video, and I want you to think about how you would respond. You're on the freeway, driving along. How would you respond? Okay, talk to the person next to you. How do you respond? Okay, how do you how do you respond? Yeah, slow down to forty, right? So new rule, yeah. Good on you, Bob. Slow down to forty. Yeah, Denise got that. Yeah. What? Yeah, you hope it's Mick Muddle. You think, man, I hope it's a mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wonder why there's no one in the car. Very scary. All right, just ignore those sort of details. Yeah, and it's on the grass. So, uh, yeah. What else do you do? Come on, be honest. Yeah, Wayne? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not... Yeah, Linda? You check your own speed. Surely you all do that. Isn't that the first thing you do? You sort of... You, it's a triple action where you look at your speedo, tap, tap the brake and look in the rear vision mirror all at the same time. And, and you, your heart's going... And you, and you think, was it, was, it, was it over or not? Yeah. Okay, just forget it, forget it, Mick. Here's a guy who stars on TV, you know, pulling people over, you know, RBT man. Um, all right, no, so, yeah, you sort of, you, you go on high alert, you check the rear vision mirror, you slow down, you, you put your phone down. <laughs> uh, sorry, no, I would never do that, but, you know, if you had your phone, you'd be throwing it out the window almost, you know, you just sort of, no evidence of that. Um, so, but... The siren and flashing lights is meant to put us on high alert, yes? Now, the resurrection of Jesus is just like that. It's God's siren call to the world that a day of judgment is coming. And on that day, the chief criteria for judgment will be the way you have responded to God. Have you given him thanks and worshipped him like he deserves? Or have you kept him at a distance? Have you allowed other good things to distract you from your true purpose in life? uh, To enjoy relationship with your creator, the God who made you. Now is the time to do something about it. So verse 30, look at what it says there. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people to repent. All people everywhere to repent because the siren has been sounded. The resurrection of Jesus has taken place. Now is the time to be on alert, to actually go, I need to be right with God before the coming of Jesus again, before that final judgment. And the good news is God wants relationship with us. That's the whole reason he sent his son to die for us is to pay for our sin, to 
wash us clean from our rebellion. And so you come back to God now and he promises he will forgive through the blood of Jesus. He will embrace you into his family. He will become your heavenly father. Have you ever been driving on the freeway and heard the siren, seen the lights, all the cars slow down and pull over, but then there's one car that just keeps on going on oblivious. Have you noticed this? Have you ever noticed this, Mick? Yeah, <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, okay, so someone, someone just, it's almost as if they're utterly oblivious that there's an emergency situation going on around them. I reckon there's lots of people in our world today who are in that boat. So in the first century, Paul was distressed by idolatry. I reckon if he came to the 21st century central coast, he'd be distressed by our apathy. Um, So many people suspect there's a God. So many have even heard the message of Jesus and his life, death and resurrection, but they do nothing. What is intended by God as a warning, as a wake-up call is not even investigated. Now, I pray that today is the day when some of us will take a step and say, I want to find out more. I want to stop living as if all these good things are all that life is about. I want to start living in right relationship with the Creator who made me for a relationship with Him. Just um, as we finish up, I just want to encourage you to grab these little slips and... uh, Fill it out. And um, we haven't really given you a category, but just on the back, just say, I'd love to find out more. Uh, and we'll get in touch with you and help you find out more. Work out what, what, what sort of help would be good for you and then work out a way of actually helping you make some steps to find out more. But don't, don't hear this sort of the siren today and then just go away oblivious. Today's the day to actually go, I want to do something about my relationship with God and being ready for that day when I stand before him. How about I lead us in prayer? Uh, and we'll collect these up just during the last, uh, last song. So let me pray. Dear God, you are the father of all. You have created all. We want to thank you for all that you've done. We marvel in wonder at the beauty in creation, the way you have made us for a relationship with you. Father, we are sorry that we so often ignore you in our day-to-day lives. We thank you that you sent Jesus into our world, that he died on the cross to forgive our sins. Please forgive us. Please embrace us as part of your family. And we want to thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. Please help us to be ready for the day when he returns. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.